Welcome to the Strife Podcast, the podcast where we talk about competition, all things competition, whether it be football, basketball, you're, you fighting your brother, and whoever wins gets the W. We're talking about all things competition. I am your host, Kevin, and I'm here once again, as always, with my co-host, CJ. CJ, how's it going? It's going good. How are you doing? I am good. How has your week been? It has been about as good as the week of the Dallas Cowboys, or at least the second half of that game. Listen, if you had a week like the Falcons, then I would think you're a real dummy. <laughs> Speaking of football, I want to talk about Thursday game. But before we get into Thursday's game, let's talk about what happened last Sunday. Injuries were prevalent. It was the apocalypse. It was so bad. I'm surprised the amount of guys that got hurt. I don't know what happened. Like, I know they said coming on the season because there was less practices and there was less um, prep time. You got dudes who can't work out because of COVID lockdowns and restrictions. Mm -hmm. They said expect more soft tissue injuries. Okay. Well, when I think soft tissue injuries, I think pulled hamstrings. Hamstrings. You got dudes blowing out their ACLs. So there was on the Niners, you're a Niners fan. There was, what, two or three they blown had, ACLs? So the Niners themselves, they had two torn ACLs, two sprained knees, and a sprained ankle uh-huh. in one game. Crazy. And it's week two. It wasn't even week one. Yeah. And, like, the, the Niners came back later this week, and they said, hey, we think there's a problem with the turf, which, understandable, except the Giants and Steelers just played on that turf six days before, and there were no, no injuries. So, like... I understand wanting to look at it because it's uncommon to have that many lower body injuries at one time, especially of the severity that they have them. Right. Ultimately, the NFL came out and said, no, not a thing. But like, even with that, you had Cortland Sutton tears ACL. You had Saquon Barkley tears ACL, which we were watching that game together. Yeah. And when he went down, I said, it didn't look like anything, but because of how he went down, he probably tore his ACL. Well, you know, I mean, They've said a lot in basketball. Anytime there's like a non-contact injury, you know it's bad. And the way yeah. that he went to the sideline after he had just hurt his like arm, his, his, I thought he had dislocated his elbow the last like the, the last play time before he was the in. series before that he was in. Yeah, and so he goes out there, and then you see him hit the floor, and he, he grabs his knee. You knew it was an ACL. Yep, probably immediately. Same thing when you saw Nick Bosa in the little little skirmish. Yeah, like he gets up, takes half a step, and then goes back down. I was like, yep, he tore his torn ACL. ACL. Cortland Sutton, like you said, another torn ACL. Just so many dudes got hurt last week. I mean, I saw I saw David Montgomery take an RKO. Out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. One of the guys just hit him. And David Montgomery, like any good guy, came running out the locker room and finished the game. But I feel like he decided to kick out of that RKO. That was his <laughs> definitely his WrestleMania moment. That was his WrestleMania moment for sure. Week two. Yeah. But with that, I'm just surprised the amount of injuries. And I hope that we can figure out a way to not have that happen going forward. I mean, football's a dangerous game. Like some of these were contact injuries, like Drew Locke getting his shoulder separated. Yeah. David Montgomery, even though he came back in the game, getting dropped on his dome. But a lot of these until these players play themselves in the shape, I think you're going to continue seeing these kind of injuries. And we didn't think much of it because most people left week one healthy. Yeah. But I also want to say, I think a lot of people left week one healthy 
because the stars didn't play as much. And a perfect example of that is like, if we want to talk about fantasy football for a second, J.K. Dobbins ran wild week one. Like right. the stats weren't there, but he played a lot. He played, I think, five snaps week two. And, and whereas Mark Ingram got a lot of run. Yeah. And I think the Ravens being one of the smart teams and a few of the other teams decided I'm going to let these guys who are going to be important to the team all season rest when I can rest them. And we're going to play him in the shape. It's, it's tough, right? Because you want guys to be on the field, especially for your fantasy team. But you don't want them getting hurt. And is this a lot to do with no preseason? I don't think it's the no preseason. I think it's the no training camps, no OTAs very limited padded practices because like you have dudes showing up to uh get ready for the season and they got to get into football shape in about three weeks time because remember like although training camp was six weeks as normal this year you had guys who weren't working out or limited working out they weren't getting the same level of exercise they weren't working with the trainers on the teams so they're in like these are all world athletes. These football players are nothing like us, but they're still nothing like what they were because they weren't able to train to that level. Right. So adding to the fact that they only had two and a half weeks of padded practice, the injuries were going to come. We all knew they were going to come. We didn't think they're all going to come at once. Speaking of injuries that were going to come, there's some that could have been avoided. Like my guy, Tarod Taylor. <laughs> so again we were watching games together sunday we were just as confused as the rest of the world when justin herbert walked out on the field yeah so when adam schefter came out later this week and said that the doctor tried to kill tyrod so that justin herbert can start for his fantasy team <laughs> it made a lot of sense so for those that don't know um tyrod taylor is the starting quarterback of the los angeles chargers he mysteriously doesn't play and they said that he had a chest injury, which was even more fascinating because he was only on the injury report Friday. He went on in the morning as questionable with a chest injury, and they took him off of the injury report after practice Friday, mm-hmm. which means it was a blink and you miss it injury. So no one knew he was hurt right. all week. Turns out he came out. Didn't he come out and warm up too? he came out and warmed up? So what had happened was, was the. Team doctor was going to give him a pain-killing injection because he had torn rib cartilage, which was not public knowledge. And he missed with the needle, and he punctured his lung. Yeah. So Tyrod started having breathing problems on the sideline. And as any good doctor would do, say, oh, that's not a good thing. Let's get you to the hospital, which is why Justin Herbert started. Tyrod was there at the beginning of the game. They took him to the hospital during the game. They checked on him. During the testing, they came to find out he had a punctured lung, and it's because of the shot, which, in all seriousness, the doctor's taking a blind shot. It's not like he can see what he's stabbing when he's trying to hit the rib cartilage. Right. It's totally understandable, but that's rough. That's rough for our man Tyrod, who got benched for an injury. Baker Mayfield came in and took his job, and he hasn't played since. Right. It's it's hard, and Anthony Lynn was trying to be – Loyal to his dude, he said if he was ready to go, he's playing. I think he still starts him, 
even let's say we're six games in, I think you will still unring that bell if he's ready to go. Yeah, but Anthony Lynn left himself some wiggle room because he said you get or Tyrod will get the job back when he's 100 percent healthy. Yeah. And he's been told to stay out indefinitely by the medical team now, which means when he comes back and he's healthy. Is he 100% healthy or is he 92.7% healthy right. and Justin Herbert keeps the job? Because I think that's what we're going to get, especially because the Chargers offense looked listless against the Bengals. Nobody thinks the Bengals are good. And then they look good against the Chiefs. They don't look great, but they look they better. Look good. They look competent. They look like a real NFL But I don't offense. know if it was on them or the Chiefs defense. I think the Chiefs defense is better than we give it credit for because the Chiefs locked down the Texans. Okay. And I think I still think the Texans will be a good offense. The Ravens have just been a buzzsaw because they ran through the Texans. Yeah. But I think the Texans offense still has potential. This week will actually be a good test for them. They play the Steelers. Steelers are another really good defense. I don't think the Texans are winning that game. But if we see progress on that offense, I'll feel a lot better about them. If they look like hobos like they did against the Ravens, who knows? Well, speaking of buzz sauce, that Miami Dolphins offense, though, right? Last <laughs> night, the Dolphins eviscerated the Jags. That game wasn't as close as the score, and the score was 31-13. Yeah, it wasn't close. Gardner looked fine. He didn't look good. He looked fine. Yeah. Ryan Fitzpatrick, you get, you get four good Ryan Fitzpatrick games a season. That was one of, one of four. Oh, man. I, I, it's going to be two a time eventually, but he just bought himself a couple weeks. But I think everyone knew it was going to be two a time eventually, right? I mean, that was never in question. I don't think Ryan Fitzpatrick knew it was going to be two a time nah, eventually. He knew, he knew that he, he's there to get the, the young kid ready to go. I mean, he threw for 160 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick has a Harvard Ran education. For another one. I don't think he would be betting on himself against Tua unless he knew something we all didn't know because, again, he has a Harvard education. I, I believe you. Devontae Parker doesn't look great. He didn't look bad. But he's hurt. I mean, you could tell he's hurt. Yeah, he's another dude dealing with a soft tissue injury, another pulled hamstring. I was he- listening to them talk about it during the game yesterday, and they said that Devontae Parker felt like he missed a lot of his career so far due to injury so that this hamstring was not going to be keeping him out. And – he doesn't look like he can run a lot, but when he gets when he he still has good hands. He was five for five on targets. He caught all the targets that were thrown to him. He made a couple moves. He I mean, I've seen this dude like outrun dude. He wasn't able to do that, but he was able to get in space and get open. The problem with the I'm not gonna miss time because of this injury is with something like a pool, you are constantly at risk of making it worse. Right. Like a pool, what a pool is is it's a slight tear. He's risking making it a, a big tear. And then that big tear keeps him out for a longer period of time. I get it. Like he was a first round pick. This is, he just blew up last year, which was his fourth or fifth season. So, like, he's trying to make up for lost time and show that he was worth the investment that the Dolphins made in him. Mm-hmm. But you also got to protect yourself. Right. It's you got to play more games. You got to try to play all the games you can. And the other thing is, Devontae Parker knows if he's healthy, he's playing. Because they had two receivers opt out for the season. Yeah. So it's him and Preston Williams, and that's it. That's it. Yeah. On the other side of the ball, James Robinson. 
That dude kind of came out of nowhere. Well, he was an undrafted rookie free agent. Yeah, so the, so the Jaguars cut Leonard Fournette and they let him go for nothing because they couldn't trade him. Nobody well, I mean, him. when when you decide to not pick up his fifth year option and then you take back his guarantees mm-hmm. and then you try to trade him, the writing is on the wall. If I'm an NFL team, I'm not giving up more than a seventh round pick to get this guy because a seventh round pick is a guy that's probably not making the team anyway. Right. And you're probably going to cut him. Correct. And so, so they let him go. They let him go for free. They have James Robson, Robinson. This dude's looking like the guy. He had a lot of things to break his way for him to move up on the roster, including uh, Reichwell Armstead not being ready to go due to COVID. Yep. And he's making the most of his opportunity. Yesterday, he had 11 carries for 46 yards, as well as six catches for 83 and a couple touchdowns. Which is funny you say that because, like, Looking at that stat line, it sounds good, but it didn't sound like it did a whole lot. But watching that game, he was their whole offense. Yeah. I mean, 83 yards, Gardner threw for 275. So he had a good portion of him. Yes. One of those yards. And that was on six catches. He was six for six on catches. So I, I think that this guy's for real. I don't know if that is a. Not him producing. I think him producing will happen throughout the year. I think that receiving line is an outlier because the Dolphins have spent big money on their secondary. Right. And they the Jags haven't proven outside of DJ Chark to have the receivers that are going to be man beaters. So I think it was more of a the receivers are taken away for the most part. So he was taking the underneath options. But LaVisca Chanel looked good. He looked like he's going to be one of those top receivers for the Jags. Oh, yeah. He needs to play more. And so he was able to, to get open and get make things happen. But I hear what you're saying in terms of the Dolphins' defense being able to shut him down. Right. I don't really have much else to say about this game. No. It was a Florida game. Duval, do what you can. Go Ryan Fitzpatrick. You have three more. Yeah, we'll see two in November. Yeah. Let's pick these games real quick because I, I want to talk about some other sports today. Rams, Bills, who you got? Bills. I got. I think I got the Bills, too. Packers, Saints? Packers. I'm the, taking the Saints. I, I know you're taking the Saints. You're a Saints fan. But what I will say is Saints look listless without Michael Thomas. Yeah. I they did not they look good. It. They did not look good on Monday. Yeah. And without Michael Thomas, if he plays, I'd pick the Saints. I don't think he's playing. I'm picking the Packers. Okay. And then Chiefs, Ravens. I'm. Gonna go. I'm gonna roll with my homies. You're gonna take my homies? Yeah. I'm gonna take Lamar. MVP. I mean, he might be the MVP, but Mahomes has figured out every defense put in front of him. I think he will continue to do the same. Okay. So, just for the record, you have the Bills, you have the Packers, you have the Chiefs. Yep. I have Bills, Saints, Ravens. We'll have an update next week with where our rankings are yep let's talk about some other sports though let's talk about some basketball lakers nuggets lakers are up 3-1 you mean the nuggets have the lakers exactly where they want them yep i mean coming back from 3-1 twice that's what they do they're they just like to lull you into a false sense of security (laughs) and say oh i need one more to close it out yeah they're like psych sucker yeah i got you when eastern conference all-star jamal murray because i still don't think he's a western (laughs) conference all-star is gunning for I think you. He heard you. I think he heard me. So I'm just gonna keep rolling with this because I'm gonna pick the Nuggets in seven. 
because that's what they do. <laughs> you know what's funny? By picking the Nuggets in seven, even if they don't get it done, you're like, I went for it. And you tried. <laughs> well, you know who else went for it? Eastern Conference All-Star Jamal Murray. <laughs> you know, someone, I saw someone on the internet the other day say that the Lakers should have lost game two. And though Anthony Davis he has, bailed them out. He bails them out. They were winning the whole way. Oh, 100. But like game one was a slaughter. Yeah. Every other game has been competitive. Right. So like Anthony Davis hitting a three and yelling Kobe, like he bailed him out. The series should be 2-2, but he, he made the shot when it mattered. I don't know if it should be, though. I feel like it should have been 3-1 as it is because though he made the shot when, he, when it mattered, they the Lakers were leading until the fourth quarter. They were, but I'm just looking at it as like... Well, as we both know, basketball is a game of runs. It's a game of runs, but like realistically, Anthony Davis hitting a go-ahead three yeah. as time expired. You give him that shot every time. Yeah, exactly. Like The, the only other person on the floor you're going to let take that shot um, over Anthony Davis is Rondo or Danny Green because he hasn't been able to hit the broadside of a bar in the season. I don't even think you let Danny Green to take that shot because he might hit it. Well, that's because like, you don't expect Rondo to hit it. No, I mean, Danny Green was on the bench with J.R. Smith. They were hanging out. <laughs> they, were, they were getting their celebration ready. So they, they ah, how, okay, if they win, how long does J.R. not wear a shirt this time? Oh, man. Well, the summer's over this time. True. So, but he is going to be in SoCal. True. He might not wear a shirt until the next season starts when he has to put a jersey on again. Yeah, because that makes sense. Because he didn't wear a shirt after Cleveland won. He didn't. I don't think. He, I think he got rid of all his shirts. <laughs> that was what word on the street was. I saw that on Twitter. So he got rid of all his shirts. He sold them online. I mean, like if we really want to be particular about it. So let's say the Lakers win. Do you think he has an Etsy shop? I, I think he should look. <laughs> um, I will look at him later. So I think. If the Lakers win the title, okay. JR will have to put on a shirt to get on a plane okay. to go back to California. Okay. Unless they're on a private plane. They're probably on a private plane. They're probably on a private So he probably doesn't have to wear he may not like he may take his jersey off when they are popping champagne in the locker room. Right. And he may not wear another shirt until training camp. That might be the next time you see JR in a shirt. Does he does he is he on the Lakers for training camp? If LeBron is. Well, LeBron will be, so he will be. I think he will be. Because, yeah, I think that's his. You know, man, I respect LeBron for being like the Jay-Z of basketball. Just taking his friends everywhere. It's, yeah. I mean, in in the Times Are Forever remix. Yeah. Everyone is on that song. But, no, Jay-Z in that remix, he says that um, he said Bleak will be taken. Memphis Bleak will be taken care of. And as long as I'm alive. He's next to him, and then he said, "Even when he, when I die, he's in my will somewhere, so he could just sit back and chill somewhere." Which is true, and I think that's how LeBron is with Jr. Jr. If we got room for you, I got you. If we don't, we'll make room for you. Then I got you. I mean, has Jr. Smith be like Jr. Smith was always a wild card, but is he just a chemistry guy now? Is he the chemist of the team? I think he is. I think he is. He's like a Jason Terry. But he doesn't have enough uh, high fives for everybody. Dude, okay, so I feel like The Chemist is a fantastic name for it. I, I remember reading that somewhere. That was years ago. Was it like Simmons, maybe? Yeah, sounds like something you do. So The Chemist is someone on the team that's only there for the chemistry. 
They got the high fives. They got the shoulder bumps. They got the towel waves. Yeah, they're the guy that's 12th man on the bench, but number one in your hearts. Actually, you forgot the most important part of the chemist. They are the sideline dunk gif. Yes. When everyone jumps off the bench for a dunk. So when someone hits a dunk and then they jump up and they put their arms out and they're like, oh, that's them. Yep. When they're like late, when they, uh, I, some of the best chemists that I've ever seen was this, it was this college team where there was like a team of dudes. It was like three guys whose job was just to get hype on the dunk. That was, <laughs> those are the best chemists. If you have like a team of chemists, like a, like a laboratory, a yeah. laboratory of chemists, that's the best. I think JR. I think JR is now the chemist. I think he team. is the highest profile chemist in the NBA right now. I want to do a chemist ranking one day and go through and figure out who are the best chemists in the league. We'll have to save that for the off season. Yeah, yeah. Also, I want to talk Miami Heat. Oh, uh, I think Lakers win. You think Nuggets in seven? That's fine. I mean, you're they, they risking got exactly nothing. where they want them. You're risking nothing by saying that. So I'm going to go with Lakers in. The series. I'm not even giving a number. Lakers are going to win. Miami's going to close out the series against the Celtics. The Celtics will look good, but they're young. I mean, we talked about them briefly last week, but Tyler, there goes my hero. There destroyed goes them. Tyler Hero. Yeah, he destroyed them Wednesday night. Watch him as he goes. Like, he was picked 13th overall. Yeah. There's a lot of guys that should not have gone in front of him. No. I think... Zion should have gone in front of him. Yep. I think John Morant should have gone in front of him. I might have taken Tyler Hero third, knowing what I know now. Oh, over RJ Barrett? Yeah. I don't know if that's fair, right? Because RJ Barrett's on. When you get taken, you go to a trash team, right? Usually. And then you'll have so many opportunities. Wait, hold on. You say you go to a trash team. You can go to a trash team, but RJ Barrett went to the Knicks. Okay, so you can go to a trash team or the Knicks, right? Those are the. That's how bad it is. Yeah. You can go to New York. Uh, I mean, I just think about uh, Sabrina Ionescu, right? Yeah, she's on. She's set to have to turn around that Liberty franchise. Yes, but in the WNBA, the star players have a bigger effect on the game. This is true. This like, is true. Look at Asia num- Wilson. Look at when Maya Moore came in. Mm-hmm. Brittany Griner when she first came in. Even going back to like Deanna Rossi, yeah, Sue Bird, like. The best women coming out of Brianna college Stewart, yeah. are generally enter the league as a top 10 to 15 ish player uh-huh. or very close to that. Which, like, when you're talking top 10 to 15 ish players in the NBA, those are the LeBrons and ADs of the world. They last longer and they're around longer mm-hmm. and they're making bigger moves. So, Tyler Hero, though, I don't know if I take him three there. I take him probably in the top five. So, here I'm going to just briefly run down the lottery picks of this draft. Zion at number one. Yeah. John Moran at number two. RJ Barrett at number three. DeAndre Hunter number four. Do you take him there? No, I take the I think DeAndre Hunter's doing big things. Okay, so Darius Garland at five. Maybe there. Jarrett Culver at six. Kobe White at seven. Jackson Hayes at eight. Rui Hashimura at nine. Cam Reddish at ten. Cam Johnson at eleven. PJ Washington at twelve. Our hero at thirteen. And Romeo Langford at 14. So I think you take him before Jerry Culver for sure. That will put him at six because Darius Garland was five. I think you probably take him before Darius Garland too. Mm-hmm. Knowing what I know. Uh, 
those those Kevin O'Connor's Brighton young sons, they look great. They did look great, especially when they came back. So I heard an interesting take, and I don't remember if it was the NBA bubble or the NHL bubble, but they said the teams that are excelling in the bubble, it's because they basically had an offseason. Mm-hmm. So what you're seeing now is what they were supposed to look like at the beginning of next year, which is why the Suns looked like world beaters. They went 8-0. With that said, it's still a small sample size. But that's why I don't think you not, you don't take DeAndre Hunter there. I think he still goes there in that spot. And I think that you have I think that you have Tyler Hero right after that. I like RJ Barrett at three. I think he's perfect for New York. I think Tyler Hero is a very good complimentary player. Yeah. I don't think though that they needed a star for the Knicks. Yeah, I don't know if Tyler Hero does the same thing if he doesn't have Dragic and Jimmy. Yeah, and like, Bam, and Bam. Because like, although if Tyler Hero would have went to the Celtics or a team like that, who knows how much he plays? Because the Celtics have thirty-seven wings, and they're all young guys. Yeah, but he's a hero. Yeah, you you want? I want to talk about one of my heroes, Jalen Brown. Okay. Jalen Brown's great. Because so some of you guys don't know me and CJ have been friends for many years. And we used to play um, NBA 2K franchise mode together. And Jalen Brown came out in one of the drafts that we played. We broke the game and made Jalen Brown a multi-time all-star, multi-time champion, making fantastic trades. I've been a Jalen Brown fan since the jump. Let, let me... Explain when he says we broke the game because he is Jalen Brown from us breaking the game. What we would do is we would trade players for picks. And at one point down the road. Well, you trade players for picks. That makes sense, right? Yeah. But what we would do is not just trade players for picks. We would get these superstar level guys already have superstar level guys and then flip these new stars for all of your future picks. And what happened was we had played maybe or simulated about 15 seasons down the road, and we had all 30 first-round picks. Yes, and that's how we broke the game. The game froze. It would not boot up because our team had all – because what we would take a superstar. He would play for us for two years, and then as his rookie deal was coming up, we would trade him to a team that was going to pay him the max and fleece them. Yep. Take every – because of the, of the uh, siphon rule – yeah, the safe and rule. You can't take the next year's pick mm-hmm. and the year after. So we would take all of your every other year picks, and then we moved them around. Then we would move them around to take the other year's picks for these guys. We did that for every team, and then one season, yeah, we had all thirty picks, and the game wouldn't load because it didn't know what to do with itself. Too many picks. But we had guys that started in our team that were now superstars in other teams because. They would come to our team, play for that rookie deal. Then we would send them on their way and wish them good luck. Jalen Brown, along with Jalil Okafor, were two of the ones that we kept for the duration. <laughs> in, in hindsight, that doesn't sound as great. <laughs> when you say Jalil Okafor? <laughs> At the time, um, Jalil was still on the Sixers, and we had a coach that specialized in making power forwards who they should be. Yep. And so that's why we had him. But it was a great situation. But Jalen Brown is the guy we've been 
watching for years. Yep. Because of that, because the game made me a fan. The game made me a fan, and the things that he's doing in Boston, I'm just impressed with him alongside Jason Tatum. I but love it. I don't know if Jalen Brown becomes the guy he is without Jason Tatum because Jason Tatum is the star as far as like he's the dude that's taking the shots. He's the yeah. initiator on offense, which allows Jalen Brown to be the guy like he's the guy that operates in the background. Like he's the Clay Thompson of the duo. Right. He, he will make the shots. Like obviously he's not the same shooter, but like he operates in the background and does things that are important to the team. And and he plays that hard defense. Him and Marcus Smart playing defense locked down anybody. Yep. Which is why I'm so shocked that a very wing oriented Heat team is destroying them. Right. Because Jalen Brown, great defender. Marcus Smart, great defender. Jason Tatum, good defender. Like Gordon Hayward's the worst defender of their wings. Is he really that important to the team? I don't think so. Because he's been out so long. And they've been doing fine without him. Yeah. And like we didn't even mention Kemba there, who is probably the worst defender of the four, but like they got to figure something out. Yeah. I, well, I want to see what they look like next year. Cause like you said, this is like a, a mini off season. Mm-hmm. I want to see what they do with having Gordon Hayward all the way back and being able to integrate all the young guys. I want to see what they do in the off season. Does Mark, do they move Marcus smart? Do you, I don't think they move Marcus smart. I was actually thinking, do you think they move Gordon Hayward? I think that's the move probably. Right. Because then you start, do you start Marcus Smart? Do you go Marcus, Kimba, or Kimba Marcus, Jason, Jalen, and center? Here's the problem is Gordon Hayward is a devalued asset. But as we talked about last week, they desperately need bench help. Right. And unfortunately, they don't have that super duper star that is going to pull vets to come off the bench and build that depth. Like, they're kind of in the same spot as the Pacers were when they were going against LeBron and Lance with Bowen and LeBron's ear 10 years ago. Right. That like, where do you go from here? I don't know who's going to take over the East because you have um, the Bucks, who coach Bud has shown he doesn't know how to make any adjustments. Mm-hmm. You have the Sixers who need to figure out they're probably going to have to pick between Ben Simmons and Jaleel. You think or, they're going to have to or pick? Joel. I mean, J- him, Joel Okafor is still out there. In, in I mean, box. he's out there somewhere. No, uh, Embiid and Ben Simmons, do you think they just can never figure out how to play together? I think they won't figure it out because Embiid's biggest strength is playing as a in the post. Like, yeah, he's a big dude that can shoot threes, but like he's not shooting 40% like Cat. Right. He's a league average three point shooter who happens to be seven feet tall versus. Ben Simmons does all of his best work inside, and it's absurd that he's been in the league this long now, and we're still talking about if he's shooting with the correct hand. But you need to figure out, you're probably going to have to pick one, and the way that the NBA is going, you can't really build around the center anymore. Right. No matter the game's how good different. he is. Yeah. No matter how good Joel Embiid, like, unless he's shooting 40% from three, he's not a particularly mobile big guy. Right. He's a good defender, but like Cat, he is not. Anthony True. Davis, he is not. Zion is an undersized power forward. He is not. Like, he's not really the lob threat that you need to be successful in the NBA at this time. The game's just different. Right. It's just different. I mean, like, that's why Tyson Chandler is still in the NBA now, 
is because he's still a lob threat. He can only play eight minutes a night, but he can still provide value. The problem with Joel is you're as like he is a all-star center, but the game has passed him by. And because he's not dominant like Shaq, like he's not a center that is going to ch- you're going to change the game for. Right. Unfortunately. I think if I was a Sixers, although I think Joel's the better player, I think Ben Simmons is the better fit for what you wanted to. And that makes sense. I think you have to just pick you just have to pick him over Joel Embiid. And yes. then you move Joel Embiid. Does Joel Embiid work like on the Suns? I can't see a building team go after him. I think he's going to end up going to a team that can't pull a star because like although the Suns have been bad, Devin Booker is starting to get that gravitas that he can yeah. pull somebody to come there to be his number two. Um, I think it's going to be a team like the Magic that take a stab for him right. the same way that they did for uh, Markel Fultz. Like, he's going to end up somewhere that... <laughs> Imagine Markel and Joel still playing together wow. in Orlando. <laughs> Imagine them still playing together and being good. Yeah. That would be interesting. I think, like, it's sad, but Markel probably helps the Sixers more and their current construction, I don't think they would have to pick because the Sixers' biggest problem is they need shooting. And he would have been that with his yes. repaired shoulder. If he didn't get his, who knows what happened with his shoulder and his brain, I think he was the perfect piece for what they were trying to do. And, and then that trade doesn't look so bad, right? No. Because Jason Tatum is still great, but you still get the guy that you thought you were getting in Markel Fultz. I mean, if they would have had, like, they didn't have to trade up to get Markel Fultz, but they did. I think they did have to, because I think the Celtics were always taking Jason Tatum. Huh. They weren't talking about it, but like reading the reports, they were always taking Jason Tatum. Lakers were always taking Lonzo. And the Lakers had said prior to the season they were taking Lonzo. Then they went out and lost a bunch of games just to make sure they got him. Right. Right. The and I mean he ain't there anymore either. But the Celtics, you knew they weren't going. They had never said they wanted Lonzo. And they although they were sniffing around and doing due diligence on Markel Fultz, you look at the composition of the team, they were always taking Jason Tatum. All right, that makes sense. So So then they probably didn't need to do that. They didn't need to. They gave up picks to get get him. And then whatever happened with them, he fell apart. That was the pick they needed. Because, like, for the composition of that team, because the Sixers were trying to go so supersized, Jason Tatum would have been a big two. Like, he would have been the shooting guard. Ben Simmons would have been the supersized point. Um, they probably don't get Tobias Harris. Right. Like, we're, maybe they uh, they don't go get Al Horford. They don't need him. Because they don't need him. But, like, their team would have uh, – we're going deeply into what-ifs now. But the fundamental question of can Embiid and Simmons play together, I think they would have been better off with either of those two guys than where they are now. Because now they don't have the shooting to make it work in today's NBA. They're trying to play a slower-paced, still three-point heavy game. But like everyone else is flying up and down the court. 
That's true. I see what you're saying. Switching gears, talking about one of them has to go. Let's talk about some Big Brother. They all got to go. Well, last night, Davon went. Yeah, and I can't see on this cast. They, the, the, the problem I have with this season, and I'm still watching because Big Brother is an entertaining show, but the problem I have with this season is the compies teamed up early on. Yep. And then they continued to be compies, and they and won beast competitions. I mean, Christmas being number four on the comp beast list in the season won her HOH, and she literally didn't get a question right. <laughs> Devon just got a question wrong. Devon got a question <laughs> wrong, which gave Christmas HOH. But every other HOH has been won by the men. Well, actually, take that. Danny won an HOH because Cody and Nicole dropped on purpose. Yeah, but it's been that same alliance winning. HOH after HOH and they're not taking shots across the bow. They're just picking off lesser players. And this week drove me nuts because Memphis is making a quote unquote power move right. by trying to backdoor David. Ain't nobody worried about David. So here's the biggest problem with Memphis, right? Memphis doesn't tell anyone what he's doing. No one knew what Memphis was doing except for Memphis. And Memphis talks like he's a mob boss, right? With no power. Cause he, I mean, he, he, the best part about Memphis is that he thinks he's in control, but Cody and Enzo are really in control. So I'd he, see Tyler, too. Tyler, to a lesser degree. Yeah. Because Tyler is seen as a big threat. See, Cody's looked at as a fool, okay? Because Cody yeah. took Derek. And so he is, I mean, I'm sure he wasn't setting himself up for an all-star season when he did it. No, he thought he had a better chance of winning. Yeah, he thought he was, he was doing the right thing and tried to win, but he took Derek to the end. Derek outclassed him all around right and beat him in big brother 16 i believe that was mm-hmm. with that being the case um cody is not seen as a huge threat though obviously he is the i mean he's won an hoh he's won a couple of vetoes but cody cody is not coming for cody's coming for tyler but tyler's not coming for cody yet tyler has bigger fish to fry in terms of danny and him wanting Danny out. And like this this is what I'm talking about about the power moves is like all you were saying, oh man, we're like we're big game hunting in here and then you're taking out people who aren't going to win. Right. Like going back all the way back to Keisha at the beginning. Like okay, we got to get somebody out. Okay. Cool. Week 1 you want to go with the thing that's going to cause the less least right. amount of ripples. Right. And keep taking Keisha out was a smart move was because it caused the least amount of ripples right week two they took out nicole anthony mm-hmm. and something could have been had there but i feel like janelle and caser misplayed the problem with janelle and caser is janelle and caser were on to that alliance from the beginning but they trusted memphis yeah and and so they were on to most of it because it was mm-hmm. kind of obvious where they were but they weren't all the way locked in, which has ended up hurting their game immensely because Janelle goes home after that. Then Kaser goes home right after that. Right. So then we're left with a group of people right after that. Bailey goes home. Mm-hmm. Then Ian. Yep. And then now Davon has gone home. But like anyone that could have posed a counter alliance to this alliance are gone. Well, the biggest problem is the slick six contained half of the committee members mm-hmm. and 
it was the committee members that were winning the, the Competition. competitions in that alliance. Yeah. So, like, the Slick Six was never going to last. I mean, Enzo said multiple times, these people need to start winning some competitions if I'm going to keep them around. Yeah. So, Enzo's Enzo played season 12. He had the brigade. The brigade was four dudes who won competitions, did well, and they got to the end. Enzo's plan was to not have to win any competition, but then he ends up getting cut at three because Hayden takes lane. Oh, I mean, he didn't win the competition that he needed to win most. Right. He likes so this time, though, well, hold on. Realistically, in, in defense of Enzo, you can actually coast with a good alliance until you hit four, and you have to win the veto at four, and you have to win HOH at three, and you can make a case why you won the game. Yeah, you could. You could. And I mean, I definitely can see that. Or if you have a ride or die. So, or if know, you have a ride or die. I don't know if you know this, but I play um, online reality type games like this okay and i played a big brother game just recently and i came in second i did not win the final four veto but my alliance member did my ride or die who cool. won it so there i didn't have anything to worry about there mm-hmm. i didn't win the final hoh he won though mm-hmm. he took me to the end i lost a four three vote because someone was convinced that they no, were the I, mastermind. Now, mind you, I have a very good social game in these games where you're like messaging people and talking to people. I like to make jokes. I have a, I'm very good at the social part because that's what Big Brother is. Right. My buddy John is very good at competitions. Together, we made a very good team, which is why it was 4-3 because it was whatever move I did, he did. Whatever move he did, I did. It was very much the same. Yeah. But like you said, that competition win is what came out. In terms of Enzo's situation, Hayden was always taking Lane. Lane was always taking Hayden. He was always the number three in that situation. Right. So in order for him to have gotten there, he didn't have that ride or die number two guy. Because Enzo's social game, as you're watching this season, top notch. Guy's funny. People enjoy having him around. He's a very nice guy. Everyone's a fan of the Meow Meow. How can you not be? So with that being the case, Enzo this season has come back in, ran a little bit of the same brigade type situation, but is out here winning competitions, which is going to end up being to his credit mm-hmm. down the road. So I'm good with, with Enzo being there. Cody is a really good co- competitor. No one's coming for him. But the people that were coming for him, he has mastermind taking them out. Without he, actually taking them out. He's right. getting other people to do his work. He knew that Devon was going to come for him. Mm-hmm. He knew Bailey was coming for him. It was obvious. The thing that he's making sure he's keeping his eye on is people like Tyler. He sees Tyler. He knows that Tyler's really good at this game. He's going to be take, going for Tyler soon. And you mentioned how there is no opposition, if you will. By the opposition not winning competitions, it's left the control in the hands of guys like Cody. So I have a question for you then. Yes, sir. Why didn't Cody take his shot last week when Danny had Tyler on the block? Oh, to take out Tyler because it was too early. There's still too many people to pose an opposition. But if he got Enzo on his side, that's not enough. Because, okay, so like you take out Tyler, right? Now, Cody's down because you have Ian, Nicole. Danny, Devon, Christmas, Kevin, and David all coming from. So the numbers are not in his favor any longer. 
Ian is with Nicole. Right. Ian's with Nicole. Tyler is like, since Tyler's not looking at Cody, mm-hmm. Ty- he still has Tyler in his back pocket. Tyler is still gunning for Danny. He's going to take, there's only one person that can win this game. You right. know what I'm saying? So if Tyler's gunning for Danny, then I just have to worry about them taking each other out. We'll keep that as it is. Right. But right now, Danny still thinks she's super with me, so I don't have the numbers. Taking Tyler out now, all it does is allow this other group to join together. It's too many people. I mean, that group has not banded together once. And, like, that was the big narrative this week So was David and Day. I, I'm a big live feed guy. This girls' alliance of four from last week was looking dangerous if Christmas switches. Christmas is a very much a guy's girl. Yeah. So she's not going anywhere. But it still looks dangerous with Nicole, Danny, Devon, Kevin. And then if you add Ian in there, because Ian's number one was Nicole. Yes. That those that's the numbers right there. You would have had the girls' alliance featuring Ian mm-hmm. and Kevin. You would have had David as a floater. Mm-hmm. And you would have had the four guys. You would so have Tyler, Enzo. You're outnumbered. You're Here, outgunned. Here's outmanned. the problem. I don't think that alliance wins any competitions. I don't think they do either. And you, know, you can be a super alliance, but it doesn't matter if you can't put people outside the alliance on the block. Well, historically, towards this end, end of the game, the, uh, the competitions become a lot more mental. Yes. And uh, they were afraid that Devon was going to start beasting the mental competitions, which is possible. Yes. Because I don't think Cody considers himself a Mensa member. <laughs> Nor, though David said he has an IQ of 170, I think he's incorrect. Um, we can get back to David in a minute. But yeah. He, he's not winning any mental competitions. His strength is his strength. Right. So, with that being, and then Tyler, if Tyler decides to flip on you at any moment, you're, you're toast. Yes. Because Tyler is a total package in terms of those competitions. So. I think you're you're right. Try to take out Tyler then, but then if they flip, you're outnumbered. At least right now, Tyler thinks he's working with you. Or Tyler is working with you. No, he's, he's working with you. Yeah. You, you just know that you're going to have to cut him at some yeah, point. You got that knife in your hand and you have it behind your back waiting to stab him. But he, you're looking and he's showing you both his hands. He's You're fine yeah. with him. And he said, we got to get Danny. So then you're like, okay, we got to get Danny. Sure, sure, sure. Sure, I, sure, sure. I just, I feel like all of them uh, have been touting their quote-unquote big moves but they haven't made a big move and like i i do agree with you that it is very early in the game as last night took us down to nine yeah but like at a point you're gonna have to cut someone big and somebody on the committee is gonna win this hoh because that is the way that it's been all season right when are you going to make your big move? Because nine is actually the perfect time to flip. This you, is the time I'm going to be looking at this week. And then, as you know, we have this triple eviction coming up. Fascinating. Which is crazy. Normally, they do normally do a double. Looks like they'll be getting rid of three. COVID, you know? Yeah. Got to cut things down. So, with them getting rid of three people in one night, I really wonder how the landscape looks. Because now's the time where you take that shot out of Cody. You take that shot at an end zone. Yeah, because there's the least repercussions. Right. Because I, based on how double eviction episodes go, I'm going to assume that we are losing somebody the first 10 minutes of the episode. Yep. I think we will lose somebody an hour in, and then we will lose someone again at the end of the night. And then so, you'll get like the beginning of a endurance HOH competition. So based on the current numbers, 
walking out of the door at the beginning of the episode will be Kevin or David. Right. Because uh, the other seven is going to have a real tough choice of who to put up. It's going to be Kevin or David. Or David or Kevin. I mean, that's also an option. So after that, you're going to get to eight. Right. I think the most interesting thing happens after this first eviction. Because yes. if you have a quick questions competition, and let's say David wins, right? Because they're probably taking out Kevin. Yeah. Let's say David wins. Who does David puts up two? It doesn't matter who well, he puts up. Someone's going on. I was going to say, they made a final eight deal with David. Mm-hmm. Like, Christmas made that final eight deal with David. Memphis kind of made a final eight deal with David. Um, If you call, hey, if you don't tell nobody about this deal. You're safe. You're safe. Shake my hand. And then you're safe. If you call that a deal, then that's a deal. Like, it, again, he talks like a mob boss or somebody with no power. Now, you can't talk about, you can't tell nobody about this deal. Okay, if you tell anyone, you're going up. Yeah. So shake my hand. Shake it. Shake it. And then when David shakes yeah. it, all right, <laughs> welcome to the big board table. And mm-hmm. get out of here. That's pretty much how that conversation went with David. And yep. So, David, as long as Kevin doesn't win the veto, or as long as Kevin doesn't win HOH or veto, he's walking out of the door. Now you get to eight. This is where things get interesting. Yeah. I assume this is when they go after Danny and Nicole. I think that's when they try to take the shot. And I don't know that Cody does because Nicole and Danny are much closer to Cody than they are to the others. Yes. But I think that they do. If you get Danny winning the HOH, I think she takes a shot at Tyler. I think she might take a shot at Memphis. Or actually, I lie. If Danny wins, she takes a shot at Christmas. They want Christmas gone. Nicole and Danny want Christmas gone. I think they will put up Christmas and Tyler if one of those two win. I think David is actually safe at eight. He might be safe at seven. He's safe at eight if Danny or Nicole wins. He's safe at eight if Tyler wins. Or Christmas. He's safe at eight if Christmas. Maybe if Christmas wins. Because I think Christmas puts up Danny and David. No, I think she puts up Danny and Nicole. I don't think so because I think she's good with Nicole. I feel like Nicole is oddly in the best spot of the girls left or someone that hasn't won anything. Yeah. Because I think we're only down to, as I think about it, Nicole's the only one that hasn't won anything. Danny won an HOH and a power. Christmas won a safety comp. And HOH. HOH and a power. Memphis has won two, two HOHs. Tyler's won an HOH. Cody's been HOH. Enzo's been HOH. Yes. Kevin hasn't won anything. He's won veto. Kevin won a veto. Yeah, so Nicole's the only one that hasn't won anything. So with that being, David won a power, by the right. way. Right. So with that being the case, I think that Nicole ends up being safe for the sheer fact that she seems worthless. She's not worthless. She's playing a very good game in that regard. But I think she Nicole goes after probably David and Danny with the want of Danny to be out. And then I don't know that Cody doesn't convince Memphis to vote with him to save her. I'm not sure. Because I, that seems like an easy sell because you tell Memphis we get to vote out Dan, David. So, but, but like here's the thing is none of the dudes in the committee want Enzo out. Enzo is in the best spot. Enzo's in the best spot overall. Overall. Overall, Enzo's in the best spot. For someone with very little power, yeah. No, he has no target on him. And I don't think 
anyone like he's the number that you're going to incorporate when you take the shot at your alliance. Right. And David might be in that spot right now, too. Okay, so let's just go through it real fast. Nicole, good spot. Yes. Nobody wants her out. Right. Enzo, good spot. Nobody wants her out. Great spot. Danny, Christmas wants her out. Mm -hmm. Tyler wants her out. Mm -hmm. Those are the main two. Maybe Memphis, but those are the main two. Memphis is such a wild card. I'm going to get to Memphis right now. David, Memphis wants him out. Bad. David wants Memphis out because no, Memphis no, no. is coming after him. Right, right. So Memphis wants so for David, Memphis wants David out. That's his main target. That's his main opposition. You get to Cody, and for Cody, I think ultimately Memphis wants him out. Maybe not. I think ultimately Christmas wants him out. Because there's a there's triple threat. Which is an alliance, mm-hmm. and that's Cody, Enzo, and Tyler. Yes, there's another alliance that Memphis made. The wise guys. The wise guys. So Memphis made the wise guys with Cody and Enzo. Mm-hmm. Then Memphis made the wise guys with Christmas and. Enzo. Enzo. Yeah. So Enzo is in the center of that one, but there's which, two alliances, one name. You decide which one it is. Which I thought it was hilarious when Memphis said the wise guys and Christmas immediate response. I'm not a guy. I'm not a guy. <laughs> I'm not a guy. It's like, it's like a mafia thing. It's like a yeah. mob thing. And then but what, what happened in real time was that he talks to Cody and he's like, all right, get out of here. Mm-hmm. So then Cody leaves. And then Christmas happens to walk in. And he's like, all right, I got a great idea for an uh, alliance name for the three of us. Mind you, he does the same song and dance that he had just done with Cody. Yeah. He's like, the wise guys. Oh. And, and she's like, okay, okay. And he's like, all right, now get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> she leaves. And then it's just him and ends up. And literally anyone else could have walked in and he probably would have did the same <laughs> yeah. thing again. At this point, he was just like, it was a casting interview. So if you walk in, CJ, and he's like, hey, CJ, I haven't seen you before. But I have an idea. Me, you, Enzo, the wise guys. I'm in. <laughs> Great. Get out of here. Get out of here. <laughs> that's how that's how Memphis works, man. He's a weird dude. Yeah. But with Memphis, so then Tyler, Danny wants Tyler out. Um, Cody eventually wants Tyler out. Um, I think that's kind of it, Nicole. So question mark. Uh, I don't. I mean, David. David wants. David wants Tyler out though. But I thought David and Tyler. Like, uh, Tyler was David's boy as close as David having a friend in the house could be. He was until Tyler. David is convinced that Tyler's the reason Bailey went home. Really? Yeah. David's convinced that Tyler's the reason Bailey went home. And for what he did to him, to him, to her, that's why he feels like he can't trust him. It's the same reason why he was not really open with him about who he voted out last week. Yeah. About him not voting to keep him. And this is another reason why. When Dave Tyler like went off on David and was like, "Bro, I like I've done everything I can to keep you around in this game," and he's like, "Well, you know what you did to Bailey is not okay." And he's like, "I didn't do anything to Bailey. Like I didn't. I really was trying to quit. Christmas didn't want it. Yeah, I tried." And he's like, "Well, I don't know. I don't know, Tyler. We'll see. What, we'll see how the boat goes." So I was talking to my soon to be legally obligated roommate. That's Jake such a Wellen. long name. I know. Well, when we get married, she could just soon be Jake Wellen. Be- is there any way we could abbreviate that? We'll work on it. I, I mean, I think I 
do have an abbreviation wife. It's a much shorter version of soon well, I mean, you still have to legally be. obligated roommate. Uh, you can say future wife. Sure, that works too. That's also shorter than soon to be legally obligated roommate. Anyway, I was talking to my soon to be legally obligated roommate, Jay Quellen, last night, and I was saying if David were to win an HOH in that triple not triple eviction episode, okay. do you go after a target or because you know you're at the bottom of the house, are you just an agent of chaos? Are you talking about if you're, if you're David? If you're David, like, do you just, I'm putting up people who I think are the mastermind? Because, like, the thing is, am I reason- David or am I Kevin who's in David's spot? No, if you're David, because we're assuming Kevin goes home. So let's, just- no, no, not Kevin. Kevin, I'm Kevin G. I'm me. Am, oh. I, am I me in David's spot or am I? David and David's spot. You're David and David's spot. So, so based if, on- if I'm David and David's spot, I definitely just do whatever the first person comes and tells me to do. See, this is... Uh, if I'm... You're right, because David has proven to not be the wisest of guys. Because if you're... He's not, he's not, he's not a wise guy. guy. <laughs> but, like, uh, the reason I say that is because at that point, I have no allies, right? Kevin's gone. I have nobody. I have Enzo come and pull me to the side first and say, hey, yo, let's go after Danny, yo. I have literally minutes to make a decision in this triple eviction. Right. And so then I go, uh, I put up Danny and Nicole. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Or you go, Danny and Tyler. Tyler, what you did to Bailey. Danny, you've been lying this whole week. I, or you t- go, Nicole, and say, Nicole, you tried to frame me. If if David has to think that hard, he might have an aneurysm on live TV. Which is what I'm saying. So, like, that's why I think he just goes with whatever he's told. If I'm Kevin, I if I'm Kevin Gilreath and I have David's position and I have no allies at that point, I think I put up Cody and I put up Cody and Enzo because even though I'm working with them, I don't think I win this game anyway. So, yeah, and that's what I hear me out because I'm thinking that way too of if i know i can't win anyway maybe i just take a shot take a shot because if i know i can't win i'm gonna look around and i'm gonna say i have gotten zero information all season right christmas comes to me and gives me a nugget and that's the first person that has told me any told me anything tried to work with me at all it's probably not in my best interest to use this information to help her because I know she's in the bigger side of the alliance. Okay. And that bigger alliance, I'm not in. So I need to get that alliance out. But I've got nothing else, though. But because I've got nothing else, I already know I'm not going to win. So I'm going to try to flip the house on its head. So what do you, because the, if Christmas comes with you with a anyway. nugget, do you then go for Christmas? Because she's spoken to you. I'm going for, I'm not going for Christmas, but I'm not going after the people Christmas told me to go after. You literally just said, I'm not going for Christmas, but I'm not not going for Christmas. I'm going after her allies. Because like, in this case, Christmas comes to her. Christmas says you can't trust Davon, Danny, and Nicole. Okay. Which means, by proxy, I can't trust Kevin. Which means... Those are the people I can trust because Christmas is working with everyone else on the other side. Okay, true. But if I'm David in this situation, I have nothing. Kevin's gone. Davon's gone. You, you All the names that. you just said are gone. I mean, you say that, but 
David has 170 IQ, according to David, he should be able to figure this out. He's got nothing but time to think about it. That's true. But he, and he definitely writes like he's running out of it. So <laughs> that's a fact. I mean, you're, I guess you're kind of right. I, I think, though, if you're David in this situation, David hasn't had any agency, right? David hasn't done any moves. He hasn't made any moves. He hasn't been the guy. Which is why he needs to throw a grenade into the house. Because if he even gets remotely close to the end of the game, he has to have a narrative. And right now, he has none. True. So, like, you have to try to blow up an alliance or do something to start building that case for why you should win the game. Like, you see it in Survivor all the time. Once they start getting down to eight, it starts becoming strategic flips and strategic cuts so that you can make your case to the jury. David is going to have to do something like that because if he comes in and somehow makes it to the final two with Christmas or Enzo or Cody or whoever who drags him there, he's not going to have a single thing to say that he did to win the game and it'll be a sweep. This is where you messed up. You think that David's seen that far. David doesn't know how the sending game works. And no. David's first season, which was last season, he was out, not even by a vote. He was out by a competition that he couldn't win. He couldn't beat an old guy and two young, uh, a young dude and a young lady. He couldn't beat them. So yeah. he has not seen the end game. He doesn't need to know that he needs to have garnered favor from people I'm, to get there. If you've seen the show, you know. You've made the mistake again. You think he's seen the show. I don't think he's seen an episode. I think he's seen a couple episodes of Sequester, and that was it. Not the end. He didn't watch a whole season. So he doesn't know how it works towards the end. He needs to figure it out quickly. He needs to. And I don't know that. I don't I think he's run out of time. I think he's, his time's up. And his allies are few. I, I do think he will be at, in the house at the end of that triple eviction episode, though. I think there's a good chance. I think if I were to do percentages, I think his percentage of being in the house is it's higher than some, than most. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, he's, he's not out the woods by any stretch. I think Enzo's out the woods. I think Nicole's out the woods. Those are the only two that I yeah. consider safe. Barring something completely unforeseen. There's no way Enzo goes home in that episode. Like, Correct. I think he is the lead pipe lock of the week. That's what I would go with, right? If we were to pick like we did earlier in the yeah. show, I would pick Enzo to still be there. No one else is safe. No. No one else is safe. Nicole is, is the next in terms of percentages, in my opinion. But I, I think that's literally it. Everyone else, anyone can go in the triple eviction. Do you think this is our last week with Danny? I think this is our last week with Danny. I think so, too. I think Danny's played a good game. Um I've always been a Danielle fan, Danielle Donato fan. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought she was great in eight. I thought she was great when she met her husband, Dominic, and did what she could in 14 and 13. Um, I, I, I feel like she has inspired gameplay. She's playing way different this season where she's actually in the numbers. She, she's normally not in the numbers. Yeah, she's normally clawing. Yeah, but this time she's played in the numbers. So her not winning a bunch of competitions has not been too much of a detriment to her because she's made the social bonds that she normally doesn't get to make. So that's a plus. But I think this is the last time, the last weekend, we're going to have Danny Donato, Briones in the show. So if you think she's gone the first hour, you want to take a blind pick at the second hour for who's going home? I think, I think in some order, I think Danny and Memphis both go. I was thinking the same thing. I think it will be Kevin... Danny Memphis. I think so. I think that I think that's how it goes as well. 
We'll see though. We'll see. Those are my picks. So we have the same picks on yep, that one. We'll see picks. how. We'll see who we're talking about next week. Uh, CJ, you got anything else you want to talk about? So I'd just like to take a minute talk about our college football season coming up, <laughs> and specifically the one starting in November for everybody. The hypocrisy <laughs> of the Big Ten and the Pac-12. <laughs> they looked around. They said, "We're not going to play. We're going to." It's a public health issue. It's a public health crisis. We're going to protect our players. We're going to protect our students. We're not playing. That was in August. That was in August. Good move by those by those groups. I I applauded them at the time. Then the SEC ACC said, "You know what? We're playing. We're playing." And then the Big Twelve looked around and said, "If they're playing, we're playing." Yeah, we're going to play because they're going to play because we're going to be forgotten about as a Power Five conference if we don't. Yeah. And then, like, because they got Oklahoma and nobody else. So then those three started. And they've been having issues. You you have teams missing games. You have massive breakouts of COVID. I mean, the SEC hasn't even started yet. And LSU has come out and said three quarters of the team is caught in COVID. Yeah. Like, not been quarantined, but have had the virus. There's some school that they test them once and then never again. Yeah, so I forget which school. There's a school that does that. There's another school that if you test positive, you do not have to test again for three months. Like, not we're going to test you to make sure that you're negative. No, you test positive, you stay away for two weeks, and then you come back. Right. Like, no negative tests required. Like, all of these schools are testing the players three weeks. That is in all of the conference bylaws as part of their COVID testing. Pac-12 is going to be doing the rapid 15-minute test. Big Ten also going to be doing the oh, I think you buried the lead. The pack, the the Big Ten and the Back Twelve in the last week have decided they're playing. Oh yeah, and that's why I'm hot. This is why I'm coming in hot on this because they did the right thing. They put health and safety over money and health and safety of student athletes that don't get paid to play. Exactly. These are public universities, sometimes private universities, sitting on billions with a B dollars of endowments, and they don't give these kids a dime. You're saying, well, we give them an education. We you know, give them free tuition. We give them room and board. That's all great. You have them working more than full-time employees as representatives of your university, and you are not taking their health and safety into account when you're saying, we're coming back. They're going to play. If you're going to make them play, Granted, the kids wanted to play. They were out there protesting. You tried to do what was best for them. But if you're going to have them play and you're going to continue making billions again with a B of dollars off of them, you need to pay them. Like, nobody is buying a Lane Kiffin jersey. Right. <laughs> nobody is buying a Mike Leach jersey. Are there Nick Saban jerseys? No one is buying a Nick Saban jersey. Like, Mr. Trevor Lawrence sells jerseys. Yeah. And he doesn't see a dime. No. You, these guys. And then, and then he doesn't see a dime. And then now you've also decided that he needs to go out there and risk his life or the life of his loved ones. Yes. For, the thing that gets me the most is that there's been at least one player that's died from COVID. Right. One college football player has passed. From COVID. From heart complications from COVID. And that kid's not getting paid because he's a student athlete. And you've decided that 
he needed to be out there on the field. And COVID is the thing that's, it can kill you. So be that kid that died. Exactly. Like, I would feel this way anyway about these kids being paid. I am a very much a proponent of pay the players. I was all about the Pac-12 letter that came out at the end of the summer about we're not going to play prior to Pac-12 calling off the season unless there's pay, there's safety precautions, there's independent reviews. And for racial um, racial equality. We're doing protests for racial equality. And then you have like the Washington state coach saying in public, anyone who decides to sit out in protest, we will support their scholarship won't go away. But in private is telling players, you know, if you go away, don't come back. Right. Like the hypocrisy is very strong with these universities and it's older white men making decisions for a lot of low income minority students who this is their best way to improve their so socioeconomic standing for the rest of their life. And not just the rest of their lives, for their families. Yes. For, there's so many people that are involved and you're taking advantage of that fact mm-hmm. to gain dollars for yourselves. Mm-hmm. And the worst part is, is going back to the original, like, you have the SEC, the SEC, and the Big 12, and they're sitting around, and they're looking at each other, and they're like, hey, if we play enough, we can still have all our bowl games. We can yeah. make that money. Yeah. And then the Pac-12 and the Big 10, looking at the pie, said, well, that pie looks delicious. I want some, too. Did you know for the bowl games this season, you no longer have to have a 500 record to be invited to a bowl game? Really? So they're just like, how can we get money? Anyone can go. Those bowl games are there for money. That's it. That's that's literally it. it. Which means you may have a team go one in five or one in six because the Pac-12 is playing a seven-game season, go to a bowl game. Not only that, but because they're starting in November, their Pac-12 championship game is going to be December 19th. The bowl games start before that, which means you may have a team eliminated from contention for their championship playing a bowl game before the conference champion is even decided. It's ridiculous, and it's all about money, and these kids can't get a cut. Not just can't get a cut. It's worth putting their health and safety at risk and to also not pay them. Exactly. Oh, man. Uh, I don't even know what to say about like I there's gonna be college football now. And the worst part is I'm still gonna watch. You we have to. I mean that's just yeah. how it is. That's just how it is. I wish there wasn't yeah. a situation, but it's going to be on. And I'm not gonna sit here and try to be like Donald Trump or people like that when they're like, yeah. Oh, they're kneeling, I'm not watching. That's not really how that works. Yeah. They're not getting paid. Unfortunately, I'm complicit in the industry. It's a it's a part of it. It's a part of it. And I'm going to watch. But I support these kids. And I don't like it. Yeah. And I don't like it, but it is what it is. It seems to be. CJ, thank you for that moment. Um, I, I just want to say I do not like Kobe Covington. I just want to say that out loud. Oh, man. I have so much to say about him, but we're running out of time. One last thing I want to say, because we I know a lot of people were saying it, but they didn't believe Tyron Woodley actually got hurt. He actually. Did. Uh, broke rib and had torn rib cartilage. That was so, true. Get well soon, Tyron yeah. Woodley. Yeah, and I hope you come back. And I hope uh, 
Usman breaks his breaks Kobe Covington's draw again. Yeah, but first he has to uh, win his fight tomorrow. Yeah. No, wait. Oh, no, that's Adesanya. That's Adesanya. Well, who's going to break Colby Covington's jaw anyway? Let's just hope he breaks his jaw. Yes. Yeah. CJ, you have anything you want to promote? You can find me on Twitter, Keyboard Sarcasm. Find me on the gram at CJLeeZ04. You can find me at KG Fury. Also, follow the Fury Podcast Network on Instagram, on Twitter, or on YouTube. Uh, also, follow The Strife on the same places. Give us five stars. Comment and on the Insta on the um, Apple Podcast. You can find us where all podcasts are found. All that good stuff. Oh, check out CJ. We'll be on the episode of Top Five Go in a couple weeks. So just be on the lookout for that Top Five Go podcast because I have opinions. So check him out on that. Other than that, bye. See ya.